right. Thank you very much. It is good to be here this with you this morning. I hope you are uh, excited and happy to be with all of our church family worshiping and praising and uh, hopefully walking away this morning different than when we came in. Uh, welcome to you guys. My name is David Hutton. In case you haven't met me, I'm the equipping pastor here. Our senior pastor, Alan's on vacation, and so just uh, wanted to let you know that he's doing well and he'll be back in the saddle this week. Uh, but welcome to you and welcome to you guys online. We're glad that you could be here with us this morning. We're going to continue. Alan actually preached last week in Philippians 1 and we're going to be looking at Philippians 4 this week. So if you want to go ahead and turn there uh, in, on, you know, just uh, Philippians 4 toward the back half of the book. Um, and we're going to be looking at what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi. He loves this church. Paul just really has an affinity and a joy for this church and he communicates that so well throughout this book I mean the word rejoice and joy and things like that are in here as a command and as a commendation many times throughout I think it's used more in this book than any other book and so Paul just really loves this church and so I want us to look at Philippians chapter 4 uh, I know in your uh, the guide there, it says 13 through 24, but I'm just going to look at 10 through 20. I changed it at the last minute there. So uh, let's look at verses 10 through 20 in chapter 4. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, if you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak from want, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. And for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance and am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we ask you this morning as, as we look at your word to speak to us, to speak in our hearts, to reveal your truths, to touch on things that you want us to address in our lives. But Father, let us hear the story here of Paul and his deep affection for this church in Philippi and, and, and the Philippian church and their deep concern, not just for Paul, but for the gospel's sake. Help us, Father, to see that and use that as an example to spur us on to greater things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, in verse 14, he, st- he talks about how they have done well. Let me just go back and read those three verses, 14 through 16. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. If you remember the story, Paul wrote this letter 10 years earlier when Paul wrote this letter, Paul actually entered Philippi 10 years earlier. So it's been 10 years since he started the church in Philippi that he writes this letter to them. And from the very beginning, he says that they have been a part of their ministry. As a matter of fact, if we look back at Philippians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 5, it says, And I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And if you'll remember when Paul, in Acts chapter 16, he really wasn't planning on going to Philippi. Remember, it was a second missionary journey. He is on his way with Silas, and they're trying to get into Asia. Twice, on two separate occasions, they're trying to get into Asia, and the Holy Spirit has not allowed them in. And then they have, they get in Troas, they have this Macedonian vision where they said, okay, hey, come over here to us. And Paul obediently packs his bags and they go up there and that's how he entered Philippi. Now he goes into Philippi and he doesn't do what he typically does, right? You remember what Paul does? Every time he goes into a city, what does he do? He tries to find a synagogue. He tries to find this place where everybody's going to be gathered, where he can start from the Old Testament and just start telling them about the stories of Jesus and how they have come to light. But in Philippi, he goes down by the river where there's a prayer meeting. Now, some folks speculate that there probably was not a synagogue in Philippi. There was not a number, uh, uh, enough people, enough Jewish heads of households to form a synagogue there. And so here he finds a bunch of ladies. Interestingly, it's a bunch of ladies. It doesn't say anything about any men being down there praying. But it's a bunch of ladies down by the river and they're praying. And Paul goes down there and just starts sharing the word of the Lord. And we hear about Lydia She's the, first Europe, you know, she's, she's the first convert in that area, and she, they start a church, and she welcomes them into their home. And then all sorts of things start happening. They go through some troubles with the uh, people when they, he delivers a demon out of, uh, out of this lady who is basically foretelling divinity, divinity whatever you call that stuff. And, and, uh, and, and the town is in an uproar and they tell him hey man you you can't do this and they arrest him and then we hear about the Philippian jailer who comes to faith and there's all sorts of things that are going on here but there's there's good things there's in the midst of it there's chaos and there's trouble and there's beautiful things afterwards and Paul is remembering all of these things because right now as he writes this letter he's in a Roman prison not necessarily prison I mean he's kind of coming and going but Paul's arrested he's he's in prison there in Rome And he writes this letter, remembering back 10 years earlier how they had started participating in the gospel with them from the very first day. And he says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul is affirming in their first, the first thing I want us to see here is that Paul is affirming that their giving to him it was intentional. It was proactive. Now think about it. Here, when we support ministries, you know, we can get online, we can plug in, do something here, and put our number there, and put an amount there, and click send, and it's gone. We don't really 
do much of anything outside of that. We can drop money in the box back there. We can get online and do it, write a check, all this stuff. What they did back then, though, think about it. Somebody had to track Paul down. Somebody had to deliver the money. They didn't have, you know, all these electronic sources of sending money back and forth to people. They, somebody had to track him down to give him this money, to give him these resources they wanted to give him. And remember, Paul couldn't just tell Philippi, he couldn't tell the Philippian church, hey, listen, I plan on going over here. I'm going to go to Berea. I'm going to go to Thessalonica. I'm going to go down here and all that. Because what happens when Paul gets down there and he's forbidden? He might tell them, I want to go in this direction. But what did he tell the churches back in Galatia when he was trying to get into Asia multiple times? They couldn't track him down because next thing you know, he's in Europe. He's having a hard time communicating. Imagine how, imagine how difficult it is to communicate with a church you just helped form and that you're leaving. Here's where I'm going in case you want to give me something. They had to be intentional, proactive in trying to figure out where he was, collect the money, and take it to him. And finally, when they hear that he's in prison in Rome, I don't know if you've looked at a map or not, but where Philippi is and where Rome is, if you go by land, you're going way up into some mountainous areas and over. If you go by sea, you're going way around Greece and around the boot of Italy and up to the, the, the west coast of Italy to Rome. Either way, that's a long trip. And so they had to be proactive. They had to want, they had to desire to want to help support him. Now he talks about, here he talks about how from the very beginning, they sent money to him. Even when he was in Thessalonica, more than once they sent for his needs. Thessalonica was just down the road. I mean, that'd be like kind of saying, hey, you know, we're going to send somebody some money over down in Navasota. That's nothing. I could probably get someone right now to take some money down to Navasota to someone. No problem at all. But imagine if I tried to say, hey, listen, we're going to try to get some money to Walla Walla, Washington. Anybody want to pack your bags this week and take off and go up there and deliver some money up there? That's a trip. That's a journey. And someone's got to have some want to to make that happen. And that's what Paul is affirming here. From the very beginning, you guys have been intentional. You guys have desired. You have participated with me. You have partnered with me. Not just financially, but in, it talks about participation in the gospel. You have been a part of this from the very beginning. From day one by the riverside. In the Philippian jail, as he, was, as, as he left town and went on Thessalonica, and they were supporting him there, and as he went around his journeys, that's, they were intentional about one. Now, I'm also, I, what I want to do here is, and you hold your place here, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, because we're going to go back and forth, because I want you to see that Paul doesn't just affirm what the Philippians are doing in their giving here he shows the same, he actually brags on their giving to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want you to see in verse 4. We're going to look at some of these verses out of, you know, out, out of place, but I just want you to see some of these things. Look at what it says in verse 4. Oh, I've, got, I've got 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that's not going to help. I'll just read three and four. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us, listen to this, 
begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. This is a whole different offering. This is not an offering that's, that's going to help Paul and his ministry. This is an offering that Paul is encouraging the churches to give to to help support the saints back in Jerusalem. And so he sent people around to collect money and, 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 to, and to deliver that back to Jerusalem for the needy back there. But here it's, he, he says that in verse 1, he says, uh, We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches in Macedonia. That's where Philippi is and Thessalonica and some of those churches. He's telling Corinth, I want to let you know what's going on up there, that in their great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed, and the wealth of their liberality or generosity that they were begging to participate in that. This is five years earlier before he writes the letter to the Philippian church. So you can imagine, here's the church starting around 50 A.D. This letter he's writing around 56 A.D. Philippian church, he's, the letter there is written around 60 or 61 A.D. So you get a time frame there that even in the middle of this, Paul is still looking back at the church in Philippi while he is writing to the Corinthian church saying, man, these guys are begging us to give. These guys are wanting to give. That is, the, that is an intentional aspect of the, and, and it wasn't just the giving of the money. Oh, let's give this guy some money so he'll just shut up. That's not what this is about. They are wanting to partner in the gospel. They're wanting to participate in the ministry of the gospel. And man, when you want to get that kind of I, th I think the theme of these last two is, is gospel-worthy living. Man, when, when you're living in a way that's worthy of Christ and his gospel, man, there are things that happen in our lives where we rearrange things, where we pri reprioritize some things. We do things differently so that we can participate in that gospel. And the Philippian church got it from day one. And Paul is just affirming them and saying, man, you guys have over and be, above and beyond, you guys have begged us to be a part of this. And so first thing here, Paul is just telling them, he says, man, I thank you guys for your giving. Man, you have been on the ball. Their giving was intentional. They had a want to about it. They had a need to about it. The second thing Paul affirms here in the, in the Philippian church is that their giving was fruitful. I want you to look at verses 17 and 19. Well, let's just look at verse 17 first. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for you the profit which increases to your account. Now, that word, some of your translations might use the word fruit instead of profit. And in all actuality, that word fruit, profit in the Greek is fruit. And so it's talking about the fruit will be given to your account. Now, let me just stop right here and say this is not... A prosperity gospel. That's not what this is talking about here. It is not talking about, well, you give us a hundred bucks, and man, you just wait and see what God's going to do in your bank account. That's not what this is about. He's, 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 when he uses the word fruit here, it's not about what are you going to be getting back in return in the finances. The fruit here is about things that are on a deeper level. It's not the physical, but it's the spiritual level he's talking about. Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 8 that my father is glorified in this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples and when he said that there he wasn't talking about what you're going to be getting out of anything he was talking about how you're going to grow in your faith the fruit of your grace like the fruit of the spirit what God does in us 
the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things that God grows in us as we walk in obedience with him, as we allow him to transform us. Not as we continually fighting against him as he's trying to transform us. When we see something in God's word that challenges us, that says that we need to do something differently, that we need to understand something differently, and we're not doing that, then we are just rejecting all that God has for us. We are not embracing what God has for us. When we start stepping out in faith and doing some things, and it's, 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 and it, it's not always just a, a miraculous thing. It can be a practical thing. I remember when I was in college, our preacher, our, our pastor started, uh, he, he did a, a two or three week sermon on giving and stuff like that. And I wasn't giving at the time. I was only earning 150 bucks a week. And I thought, yeah, my $15 tithe ain't gonna matter much. I don't, you know, whatever. And so I was only 150, maybe $200 a week as I was in college there. Um, but he made it clear that it's not about that God needs our money or that the church needs the money or anything like that. It's about what God wants to do through us as we obey him, not just in our money, but in all aspects of our life. And so he said, man, if you're, miss you're missing out on something, you're not growing in your faith if you're not participating in this aspect. And so I... I thought I'd give it a shot. I asked my roommates. I said, hey, listen, I want you guys to pray for me. I want to do this and all that. And I found out one of the other guys wasn't doing anything. So together, we started working together. We thought, okay, in our churches, he went to a different church. In our churches, we're going to start giving to the church. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and so we did. And here's what we found out. We thought we were going to run out of money. We thought we weren't going to have enough money to eat on or pay the bills or something like that, that $15 to $20. I mean, some of you guys remember when you were in college how your budget might have been a little tight. Like you wondered, like when the car got fixed, it sat over there for two months until you were able to get enough money to at least get someone to look at it. Uh, or, or, or those, you know, you, you got hurt and not, you didn't have insurance and all that. You, you remember those days, right? Yeah. And, and so money was something important, but when you... Put it in a plate at the church, at $20 bill, you put it in a plate at the church, you're thinking, light bill, food, things like that. And here's what happened in, our, in my life. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a big spiritual thing. It was a really practical thing. As I had to decide, was going out and eating at church's fried chicken more important than me obeying God and doing what God wanted me to do? And as I started evaluating all the ways I was spending my money, and I started handling my money more like I felt like God would want me to, and I had other people speaking into my life, because I'm, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I always tell people I was educated in Georgia, and we're on the bottom of the educational food chain, and so we didn't come from a place of higher learning, if you know what I mean. And so I had, to, I had people speaking into my life and, and things like that, and they were able to help me understand how things worked in budgets and financing and, and, and things like that. And it was amazing after one month, two months, three months, I started having more money in my account. And it wasn't that God was putting it in there. It's just that I wasn't going out spending it in crazy places, as college students tend to do. And so I was able to turn around as I felt led to give to not just the general ministry of the church, but to missions or to a need at a time when someone else was struggling and stuff like that. And I was able to do those things not because I'm a good person, not because I had boatloads of money. 
it was that God was showing me that this is just one step. And so the fruitful thing in me that was growing in me was what he's talking about here. In that verse, he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 8, go back there. He's, he's going to talk about what the giving did for this, the Corinthian church when they were giving to the saints. In ch chapter 8, He said that in their great, in verse 2, that in the great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. He's saying there, what he's saying there is kind of like this. In the affliction and, and the, the chaos that's going on and the problems that are going on, they both had an abundance of joy and deep poverty. And that word deep poverty, it's a combination word. The basic is not just someone that's got a little less money. It, all, it indicates that they're practically beggars. They're practically beggars. But they had an overabundance, an overflowing of joy. Think about that. How many times have we said, because I know I have, oh, if I just had another $2 extra raise an hour, oh, if I just had another, you just put the number to it. If I just had, if I could make his kind of money, I'd be happy. If I could make his kind of money, I'd be happy. And I've talked to so many people that are so much wealthier than I am that say the same things. If I had that kind of money, if I had the next level kind of money or, or whatever, I would be happy. And I've heard testimonies one after another after another that when they get that kind of money, they want more. They're just not happy. There's not, there's not a contentment there. And, and, and what he's saying here, this idea... Excuse me. What he's saying here is that this idea of of of, of being of overabundance of joy it doesn't come in the things around us. It comes in the person of Christ. Jesus said to the disciples before he was getting ready to go to the cross. He said, "All these things I say to you so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full." Well, what were the things he was saying in chapter 15? That's chapter 15, 11. If you look at those, abide in me and I will abide in you. Abide in me and my word will abide in you. Abide in me and my love will abide in you. He's talking about not just us taking up residence in him, but him taking up residence in us. And we have in this relationship that he speaks into our lives and we allow him to transform us and change us and and all that, and it is there that we, no matter what the circumstances are around us, we can experience the fullness of his joy. Paul is affirming to the church in Philippi that they are going to have, they're going to receive fruit. And he tells the Corinthian church that these are some things that are, can come your way. These are some things that the church in Philippi and Macedonia are experiencing. Look over in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He actually goes down a list of things. For the ministry of this, in verse 12, for the ministry, ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints. Okay, so he's saying basically this ministry, your ability to give, your ability to provide funds and all that is meeting the needs of the saints. But it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So when these guys are giving money to them, they're saying, okay, we gave money to them. Maybe they can put some food on their table and all that. 
Paul here is trying to get them to see, man, when you do that, there's many thanksgivings lifted to God. Listen, this is one of the reasons why when I have conversations with many of you, I'll, I often ask about uh, the things that we do, the things that we say, and uh, you know, how are those things not just good things? How are those things not just encouraging things to each other? But how are those things honoring to God? How do those things bring glory to God? In other words, in our interaction with each other, we ought to be drawing the attention of many people to the greatness of God. We need to, we, in, in, in every situation, we need to, not, not just in our conversation, they need to look at our lifestyle and say, man, that is different. Enough to where they come up and say, what's going on with you after some time? And, and, and i, I got to be honest with you, that's only happened to me a few times. But when it does happen, when it does happen, number one, it affirms me, and I'm going, thank you, God. Man, I'm, I, I thank you, so, you know, my thanksgiving is lifted to God. But it challenges me even more to make sure that people are watching me. People are watching each one of you. And listen, teenagers, I'm, t I'm telling you right now, people are watching you. There are students all around that are watching you, and you have no idea the impact you can make on a high school campus just by walking in a way that honors him. College students, you have no idea what kind of an impact you can make for the glory of God on that college campus. But it doesn't just stop there. If you're working out in the workplace, you have no idea what living a life in a way that is drawing the attention of many to his greatness does in that workplace. Listen, wherever we're planted, that's our mission field. Wherever we're planted, my neighborhoods, my workplaces, when I'm at the store, wherever I am, in my family, and, and I often tell people this, the first mission field we all need to attack is right here. Not what am I going to get out of it. Because that doesn't lead to fruitfulness. It's not what am I going to get out of it. It's what can I give to God. What can I do for God. What, how can I be before God. God will return. And even if we don't experience his greatness... His gifts, His loving kindness on this planet. Even if we don't experience it the way we want it. For me, this verse has always been true for me. And it's something I look forward to. And it says, For the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. If that's not enough to celebrate and to live a life honoring to God, just knowing that no matter what goes on, because listen, there are people around the world, and even some maybe in our own backyards, but overseas, I've encountered people who go through difficult times. Alan last week talked about a couple of young men, the young man that got branded and the young man that lost his hearing. Those were two friends of mine in North Africa. And those guys taught me volumes when I sat down with them trying to figure out, how can I help you get out of this situation? How can I help you el eliminate this pain and all that? And both of them didn't even know each other. Almost identical verbiage said, Man, Christ suffered so much for me, why can't I just suffer a little for him? And the big American missionary is sitting there going, man, this young man who is new to the faith, 19 years old, just taught me more than any seminary class ever taught me. If we live our life in a way that is honoring to God and deal with all the circumstances around us, we will be fruitful, even if, it, even if the fruit is producing thanksgiving to God. 
Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will, listen to this, they will glorify God for your obedience, your confession of the gospel to Christ, for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. For their generosity, they're going to give glory to God. That not worth it? Oh, wait a minute, we don't, we don't get to get a piece of that. We don't get to feel, we don't get the feels for that. We don't, we don't get to experience that. Man, if we're thinking along those lines, we shouldn't be, we can't be doing this because I'm not feeling it. I'm not getting anything out of it. Man, we are in a bad place, friends. Paul is telling the church in Corinth, and he's doing the same thing with the Philippians. It's not, it's, it's we're giving away so that God can glorify it. It's giving away so that he, the gospel, and pointing the people to the gospel. And look at verse 14 of that. He says, and, and also by prayer on your behalf and yearn for you. If you want something out of it, here look at what he says to the Corinthians. Man, they're going to pray for you and they're going to yearn for you. That's what he's telling, talking about the Christians there that are going to, that's one of the, are the people in Corinth going to ex physically experience that there in, from Jerusalem? Probably not. But Paul is telling them, man, when you give it away, when you give it for the glory of God, the fruit out of that is that they are going to be yearning for you. They're going to pray for you. And we won't know it until we're all standing in glory together. We won't know that. And even if that doesn't happen, even if it doesn't happen, God still gets glorified, even if we get nothing out of it. Why? Because we are giving away something that God has already blessed us with. God has already given us a uh, I will talk loud then. Are you going to come up this morning? Sorry about that. You want to take that thing with you? <laughs> All right. So, uh, does that work? Okay. I think I remember where I was. <laughs> so anyway, he wants us to give. He also says there in verse 19 of Philippians 4. Look at verse 19 real quick. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ, his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Listen, that little phrase, according to his, he'll supply our needs according to his riches. Not according to our desires, our wants, our have-to-haves, our whatever it is. He is going to supply our needs according to his riches and glory. And, and when I was looking through the scriptures, I've often said, hey, what, what is... What does he mean by his riches in glory? Well, I found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and through 19. Let me just read this to you. If you want to turn there, that's fine. But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. That he, talking about God, that he would grant you, the church in Ephesus, according to his riches in glory. Okay, so that, that's the context. He's going to grant you according to his riches in glory. To be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Anybody want some of that? Strengthen and power through our inner man with his power. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. Listen to this. Comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. 
And I want us to get your heads around this too. It's not about what you know. This thing he's talking about here is surpasses knowledge. It is an experiential thing that the Holy Spirit in our lives, that is, as we are obedient and walking obediently with him, and as we are pursuing Christ, and as we are involved in the gospel of Christ, and, and all those things, he's saying then we begin to understand the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. There's a whole lot of people out there that know the Bible, and there's many out there that knows the Bible better than me, and sadly are going to hell. I encountered Muslims in countries I've lived in who knew much about the Bible, but did not accept the truth of the Bible. They did not live it out. I, I've, I've read about seminary professors who have been teaching this knowledge and get, be a, written books and affirmed and, and, and all this and then come away later on going, you know what, I just, I just don't believe this anymore. They taught it. It was an academic exercise. And they still wanted to teach it, but they didn't want to live it out. So here he's saying all of these things, all of these things according to his riches glory to be strengthened with the power of the Spirit in our inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love and comprehend with all the saints the vastness of Christ and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Tell me. That's not a fruit basket you want to get a hold of. Paul is affirming to the church there in Philippi that not only was their giving intentional, but their giving was fruitful. And not about, give me some money back. Not about, fill my bank account up. Not about, give me the car, the house, the whatever. It's, a, it's about what he wants to do to transform us, to change us, to to build us up in Christ. The third thing here, Paul is saying that their giving was sacrificial. Look at verse 18, chapter Philippians 4, verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, he uses this word, well, an acceptable sacrifice. And I want us to hear this very clearly. I, I, mentioned, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier. But I want to make sure everybody walks out of here with the same idea that I believe Scripture is talking about and that I have experienced. We're not sacrificing money. We're not putting money on the altar to fund missions or to fund ministry or to whatever. We're, that, money is not what we're sacrificing here. What we're sacrificing is our desires, our wants, the things that we might even think we need at times. What we're sacrificing is other things that that money might go to, but we're going to say, you know what, I'm going to put that on the side because the gospel is just that much more important. It's not about sacrificing money. Man, I was in one country in West Africa where they had this thing on Fridays. Friday is the... the Friday is the, for Muslims is like Sunday for us. Friday noon, the prayer time, you see guys walking around giving money in baskets and things like that. 
And you'll see guys walking around. Some of them even have someone carrying their money. They got their robes on and they're walking around real pious-like. And somebody walks and he'll point to somebody and he'll mention an amount to point to. There's beggars along the wall outside the mosque. And this guy will take the money and he will just wave it in the air so everybody can see what kind of denomination he's putting down in that basket. And he waves it in the air and he lays it down there. And of course, they're thanking him and they're kissing his feet and they're doing all sorts of things and all that. That is not what we're talking about, sacrifice. Because this man in his abundance, this guy's carrying a basket. He's pulling out one bill. He's making a big show of it. And he's laying it down at someone who, to them, that's a great amount. But the attention is not on meeting the need. The attention is, hey, look what I'm doing. The sacrifice here is not anything about me as much as it is about, uh, and the money as much as it is about the things that I might want. There's no need for a lot of things. I don't need to go to Europe every summer. I don't need to go to, to travel all over the world all the time. I don't need to buy the latest car just because my car's two years old now. I don't need to get a bigger house when this house is sufficient enough. I don't need to fill in the blank. I got caught up in this when I realized when it, phones started coming out. You know, because for the longest, man, the flip phone was good enough for me. But then once I, I don't know, I guess the first time I got on a smartphone, man, that was like heroin. <laughs> I got on that thing and I said, man, I can get on my computer on this thing? I can take pictures on this thing? I can play games, yeah. But I can do all, what all I could do, I, I could spend hours. And then I'd hear about the latest phone that came out. Okay, I just bought this one. This one's going to be twice the price. I just had this for a year. <laughs> and, I, and I started, and, but I went ahead and bought the other one. Started getting on that. Had new little gadgets, new little gimmicks, new little things on there. And, and before long, I realized after, what, a year or two, those things are obsolete. You got to buy the latest one to go upgrade and all that. And, 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 and I, had to, I got caught up in that. I had to stop doing that. I actually, so much so that I went to the store and I started telling the guy, and I said, well, this is all I really need. You know, I need to make text message phone calls, pictures are nice and all that kind of stuff, but I don't need all the gimmicks and gadgets and all this kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I was just able to get, get a, you know, just simple phone. But I could easily have gone down that path and taken the money, $1,000 for a phone? How much could a missionary use that for overseas to engage lostness? That's what got me. When I knew that the money I was spending on something because I just wanted it, that's the sacrifice we have. We have to sacrifice things. That's a silly thing. It really is for me. I mean, I, as I look back on it, that's a silly thing. But most of us, we can sit down and evaluate our spending and stuff like that and realize... Man, we got a lot of money we could help engage losses. See, you guys, were, you probably heard about this thing called the uh, great imbalance. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it right now. Uh, we had a, uh, Moses did, is Moses even here today? I, there he is over there. Moses, he, he wanted to do secret church here. This last secret church in May was um, on the great imbalance. And basically, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, just real simple. 99% of the resources that churches take up 
go to areas where the gospel is already available. Think about that. Now, you might say, well, what about, does that include Latin America? Probably. South America? Probably. Europe? Probably. Some places in Africa? Probably. East, Chi- East China, if you go along the seaboard there, man, the church is exploding there? Yeah, probably. One percent of our resources are going to places that don't have access to the gospel. When I learned that, that's when I wanted to say, okay, me personally, but as a church, I think we ought to be sending more of our resources to places that need to hear the gospel. That doesn't mean that we're probably ever going to go there. Because there's some of these places we're just not allowed in. But we can help get the gospel there. Creative ways. I'm just, y- y'all know the Saldivars are, are, are getting involved in this ministry where they're going to help Hispanic churches engage Muslims around the world. That's the gist of it, right? Just, I got to tell you, and I'm going to say it so everybody hears me say it. One of the best things that are happening around the world is Latino churches engaging Muslims. And the reason is, is they are so close in culture, music, food, the way they do family, all those things, they are so close. When I actually partnered with a Venezuelan in Morocco so I could learn more how to engage Moroccans because my, the folks I was working with wasn't helping me that much. But when I got alongside Reuben, Man, Reuben was rocking and rolling, and he showed me what I had to do. And I had to, man, I got to give up. What? I can't go to bed at 10 o'clock. I got to be in somebody's house at 10 o'clock at night. I got to be out at the cafe watching soccer matches. I don't even care for soccer. But I had to do that. When we moved to India, I had to start watching cricket. It grows on you. You got to give it a little time. It does. I actually enjoy it now. It's, it's one of those things I can sit down and watch. And, and most people, when they sit down and watch it for the first time, they go, man, I ain't, giving it, I ain't watching this. But when you're hung up in a, uh, in a hospital bed in Dubai recovering from a knee, a knee replacement surgery, and that's the only thing on television to watch, you learn cricket pretty quick. And, but you do these things so that people can hear the gospel. What does that have to do with anything? Man, it begins in relationships. And are we willing to sacrifice our own luxuries, our own concerns, our own whatever it is to be able to engage others? And that includes our finances. Paul here, he's, he, he's encouraging them. He, he's, he's telling them that it is, it is an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He calls us to do, Paul calls the church in Rome for us to be an acceptable sacrifice right in chapter 12 verse 1 i urge you therefore brothers by the mercies of god that you present your body a holy and living sacrifice acceptable to him it's an acceptable worship to him we are to lay our lives on the line to give give up total authority in our lives and submit and surrender to him that is the sacrifice that paul is affirming and talking about here it's not about the fruit that we might get. It is just abandoning all for the sake of the gospel. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Friends, man, this... He's telling the church here that according to their ability and beyond their ability. Remember what he said about them earlier? Remember what he talked about them earlier? They were practically beggars. 
and they gave. And so I want to encourage us as we look at the scriptures here. I want to encourage us just to consider. Believe me, I am not judging because I sit down all the time and I look at my checkbook. Well, actually I don't. I don't even do a checkbook anymore. I look at our bank account and I'm thinking, okay, God, what do you want us to do? I try to be faithful to that and I am not always faithful with that. I, I, I disappoint myself and I know I, you know, I want, to, I want to be better with that. But I think that's a good exercise to sit down with our spouse occasionally and, and consider ways of how we can engage and help people to engage others with the gospel. If you have not, listen, I'm, I'm going to throw out a couple of ideas. Two people in our church. Kaylee Vessels is a young lady who's serving in campus ministries up in the Northwest. She wants to go back full time. She's, she's trying to raise funds for that. If you do not know who she is, I've got some information in there. If you want to know more about her, you come talk to me. She is someone that, and if you've ever been to the Northwest, Washington, Oregon, well, if you've ever been out West, California, <laughs> you will not find churches on every corner like you do here in Texas. And, and in all honesty, you might walk into some churches and walk out going, that was not church. And so what she's trying to do up there, engaging students, she started off with one student at the beginning of last year, and she ended up with 12 by the end of the year, discipling them and all. I would encourage you. Man, if you've if, if you got some money you want to invest in somebody who's engaging the gospel, man, do that. And you've heard the Saldivars and their story, and what I just shared with a little bit. They're still raising support. If you've not done that and you want to, what they're going to be doing, engaging a people that none of us will ever None of us will ever be able to do that. If you can, talk to them. But those are just two ways that we as a church, that we as individuals can use the resources that God has given us to be a blessing to others around us. That at some point down the road, as things start rolling, as things start going, they, they may never know that this church did anything, but they're out there as they are save, get, being saved, as they are being discipled, as they are starting churches in nor the Northwest or in, pl in, in places all around the world, they are giving thanks to God. They are glorifying God. And that is more than enough for us to follow the examples of the Philippians and be a church that is intentional about our giving, to be a church that is fruitful about our giving, and be a church that is sacrificial about our giving. I want to challenge you to sit down with your spouse to evaluate how you do your spending and are there some funds that you can be using to engage in ministries where the gospel is not known, especially. I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father, you are such a good, good God. You have called us to ourself, to yourself. And you have called us to serve you, Father, to bring glory to you, to draw the attention of the nations to you and your greatness. And I pray, Father, that as we look at the example of the Philippians, that we would see their heart for the gospel and participation in the gospel, and that they would, that even if in their poverty, even if in their circumstances they found themselves in, Father, they desired 
to help further the gospel with whatever resources they have. And here in America, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, Lord, we can do better. Help us. Speak to us. Don't let anyone walk out of here feeling any guilt whatsoever based off what I've said. Father, I pray you speak to him. And if there is guilt and conviction, let that be from you and your word, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.